what is your name and or your alias? My name is Krista Couture. And I never had an alias. I wish now that I did, but I, I never came up with one. I love it. Where are you currently residing? I'm currently based in Toronto. Love it. When, if I didn't know you, and I do, but if I didn't know you and we met in an elevator, what, and I asked you what you did, what would you say you do? I would say I'm a writer, a musician, and a broadcaster. So cool. <laughs> I got it dialed. I've got that elevator pitch dialed. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I know that about you. <laughs> um, are you ready for the lightning round? <laughs> yeah. Hit me. What's the best song of all time? Oh, Jesus. I'm not ready for that question. Nobody is. <sighs> Take a deep breath. One of the best songs of all time. Okay, I'm going to tell you the first thing that comes to mind, and then I might regret this answer, but we're just going to run with it, okay? All kinds That's of disclaimers, round, yeah. caveats, whatever. Uh, Bandit by Neil Young. I love it. Why? Because I believe it. Mm. It's, it's the lyrics, his delivery, it's whatever they did in that song. I'm like, I fucking believe you. That's yeah. really important, isn't it? Is that, what is that, Authenticity. Authenticity. Absolutely. And and the thing is with that song, like the, the, the chorus is like someday you'll find everything you're looking for, which is a beautiful some thing to wish for a person, right? Much less guarantee. And and right. so it's this message and, and that you want to be true. And then there's just the way that he says it or delivers it or is it recorded that that makes it true. And I I think about that song when I'm thinking about my own yeah, authenticity or my commitment. I think it's a commitment as well. Um, cool. Yeah. Is it is it the lyrics or the delivery or both that are authentic or commit? I think I think it's more the delivery. You know, maybe it's the melody. It's it's the way it's kind of almost delivered like one word at a time, um, and and the production of that song is is kind of con like the sort of constant. It's pretty straightforward. Um, it's gentle in a way because the words like someday you'll find what you're looking for. Like that's not like a great line of poetry. It's a nice thought, but it's not like, Ooh, I wish I'd thought of those exact combination of words. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's just, I think, guessing the commitment to the performance and the choices they made about the instrumentation and. I love it. So far, we're off to a great start in the lightning round, by the way. But we're <laughs> My still like, in the reluctance round. with that is like, oh, I don't want to name the old white guy who's got like Neil Young. Come on, he's great, but like we don't need to give him more flowers. But uh, it, it's just what popped to mind first. There's so many favorite songs, and maybe I'm just feeling that song that in this moment, right? Of course. It's the lightning round. Don't worry. Everybody feels the same. <laughs> Who has the best voice of all time? Ooh. Also, there's so many. Probably not the... Neil Young. No, I'm guessing. No, you know, um, <laughs> best voice of all time. Uh, shout out Neil Young, by the way, and you have a great voice. Don't don't listen to us. <laughs> no shame. Yeah. <laughs> no shame. 
Um, Regina Spector. Mm, and cool. because, obviously, beautiful voice. She can sing in all kinds of styles, big, loud, soft. Um, and, and that she does. One of my favorite things about Regina Spector's voice is that she's not afraid to actually not have a pretty voice or not have a beautiful voice. And I feel like especially for women where <laughs> if you do something that's sort of like quote unquote ugly, that's a real risk. And she'll just like, eh, like she'll grunt, she'll get right into it, she'll play with it. And so again, there's sort of like choices or commitment to like using her voice in a way that I love that I think makes her one of the best singers. That's great. Great answer. I love that. Who is your favorite musical group or band of all time? Or maybe just this week, I don't know. <laughs> These are just the hardest questions ever. How do you pick a favorite? Do you have a favorite? Do you know? I, I would never answer these questions. I'd just say no comment. <laughs> No comment. Pass. These are these are these are ridiculous questions that don't really have any answers to them. Okay, at least you know that. My favorite 100%. group. So not like a, an artist, because I li I listen to a lot of individual like singer songwriters. We're looking for a group here. It's the lightning for, round. This is the lightning round. Looking for a group. Oh man, who's my favorite group of all time? Could be a duo. Yeah, it could be a duo. Just looking for a, you know, just a non-individual. Okay, musical. my favorite group, and they're named after the individual, but which I used, and I now know, but they're really like a collaborative number, is uh, Brandy Carlisle. I haven't heard of them. I haven't heard of them. Oh, they're no. good. She also would be contender for best voice that women can sing like she's got like a bonnie Raitt kind of quality oh cool um and great hooks my god and their album bear creek was just like i i one of those things that i've listened to you know top 10 i've just listened to over and over so many times um been her work since cool. but just really great songwriting and two members of the band are twins. They're these twin brothers, and that's just a good look. And uh, and they all, like, live near each other. And one of the brothers is married to her sister, like, their family. They just have, like, a real solid thing going. That's cool. Yeah, they're good. I love it. Um, who would be your dream collaboration? She's also warming up to the lightning so, round questions. There's so many. There's so many dream collaborators. The first thing that comes to mind is um, recently newly named uh, The Hallucination, formerly A Tribe Called Red. Oh, cool. I've like oh, never, yeah. I'm so singer-songwritery, right? I'm like folky and um, I would love to work with producers or artists that are doing something completely different. And uh, I love I love the collaborations they've done. So that's great. I approve of that name change too, because I was always like, oh, oh yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty pretty close to another band name. Yeah. Um, laptop or recording studio? Recording studio. I love it. Why? 
I'm I I like being in a room. I like the the idea of a record as a record of an event. And for me that mm. happens when you're with people. Right. Is it the space or the people or both? Both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Often oftentimes the walls are made of wood and that just helps seal everything, right? Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite audio effect, like delay, reverb, EQ? Mm. I mean, I think the audio effect I've been helped by most as a performer, probably reverb, also, well, auto-tune. I mean, I've got pretty good pitch when it comes to singing, but every now and then there's just like, for whatever reason, a thing I can't get and the fact that we can fix it. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Right. That's great. I approve of all of those answers. I'm gonna <laughs> skip by the. I'm gonna skip by the question. What is your favorite plugin? Because I'm guessing you don't have one. But surprise me. Do you have a favorite? I mean, Auto Tune is a plugin, so is we it? can go with Auto Tune. There you yeah. go. I'll pick that one. I love it. Okay. Last question of the lightning round. Which song sounds great? Which song sounds great? Correct. <sighs> Mm. You know, I've been listening to I have this playlist I made on my phone for when I'm cleaning. <laughs> mm. And so I've been listening to that playlist on my headphones this morning. I'm going to say, because just like I was thinking about it and listening to it today, it was Better in Black by Thelma Plum. Cool. I haven't heard of that, but it's good. I, I believe you. Velma Plum? Thelma. Thelma. TH, Thelma Plum, Ooh, Better in Black. Yeah. I love it. Shout out Thelma Plum. Yeah. Great name. Great name. That's a that's an alias you could have had if you had taken it first. <laughs> if I thought but of it. Didn't think of it. I know. Too Man. slow. Too slow on that one. That is the end of the lightning round. What did you Whew. think of the lightning round? Woo, it's tricky. Those are hard questions, dude. Man. Ter terrible. Terrible, terrible questions. questions. Nobody can answer those questions realistically. No, those are the kinds of, I mean, I, I, I stand by those answers, but they're the kind of thing I'm going to be thinking well, about those. And like later today, I'm going to be like, oh, you know what I should have said? That's the kind of questions those are. Just text me and I'll overdub your answers. <laughs> Good. Right? Perfect. We'll fix it. <laughs> fix that. We'll fix it in the mix, right? Yeah. It's all, always been our motto, isn't it? No, it never, <laughs> never no. has been. Um, awesome. So. You currently reside in Toronto. Where were you born? Let's go way back in the in the way back machine. Little Krista, where were you born? I was born, I mean, not far from here. I was born on Cur uh, Peterborough, Ontario. My family lived on Curve Lake Reserve at the time. and uh, But they went into town to make it to the hospital. And uh, that was 1978, an autumn day. Woo! I love it. Libra season. Nice. Um, can you tell us about an early musical memory? Mm -hmm. I have a really musical family. Both my parents are singers and have wonderful voices. My whole family, you know, plays instruments and stuff. A musical memory. I remember 
stepping into like a diner with my mom and um, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles was playing. And I was like, what are, what is this? This is the best thing I've ever heard. Like it just right. Like it got to me so fast. And I actually went and held my mom's hand because I was so moved by the sentiment. I was like, I want to hold your hand. This is the best song I've ever heard. I had, I was like maybe four or something. Like it's a really young memory, but it's a first Mm. memory I have of being like the way that music can just like ignite you. And like, like my body was like electric because I just was like, I love this. What is going on? You know? Right. Um, there's this now that I have, I have a daughter who's four and there's this, um, this kids show called Kiri and Lou that we watch. It's on CBC gem and it's from New Zealand. It's these five minute animated little shows with dinosaurs. Anyways, one of the dinosaurs is was by Jermaine Clement from, uh, uh, flight of the Concords. Anyways, there's this episode oh, cool. where this one little dinosaur, um, Kiri, she doesn't know what's happening to her and like her body's moving and her feet are moving and she's kind of confused and she can't understand what's what's like possessed her and it's because someone's drumming and she can't help but dance <laughs> and uh and i feel like when you're little like we sort of are born with knowing how to dance and and to respond to music like it's so inherent it's so human and so that moment of hearing, I want to hold your hand was just like this moment where I was like, what? There's something's happening. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh my God, music. That's so cool. Have you played, I want to hold your hand t- to your daughter? No, I haven't. So play that for her today and see, I, I bet she goes, meh. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> No, I wanna I wanna see if her reaction is genetic, maybe, right? Maybe. I'll try it. <laughs> but it'd be funnier if she just went meh. She's like, nah, nah. <laughs> Beatles Schmeatles, mom. Great song. Great song. Shout out Beatles if you're listening. Some of you. <laughs> um those of you left. It's possible. Um do you think at that moment at four might have been the moment where you're like, I think I want to do this with my life or probably a little too early to be making that call, but maybe the seed started there. Did you eventually start, you know, your, your parents are, are musicians and singers and everybody in your family's uh, musicians. Did you pick up an instrument soon after that or what was your first sort of instrument? Well, my first instrument was my voice. You know, I was, um, I'm, I'm mixed Cree and Scandinavian. And when I was like two-ish, um, we had a traditional naming ceremony. And that's like a thing us natives do. <laughs> and so in this, in this naming ceremony, which like takes, you know, in the sweat lodge with the elder and, and, uh, wow, and he, cool. he came out after the ceremony and he, and he said to my parents, um, you know, her name is Saini Bay. Uh, which is Arapaho. I'm Cree. He was Arapaho. So, you know, <laughs> use his language. But he's like, her name is Saini Bay. It means singing woman. And he said, she's going to sing a lot and she's going to talk a lot. And I grew up being told that story over and over. Like, you're Saini Bay. You're our singing woman. You're going to sing a lot and you're going to talk a lot. And so I feel like at what point did I become a singer or decide to make music? I, I, 
I either grew into that story because I was told so often or it was always going to be true. Um, so there was just this sense of like, that's who I am. That's my role. Like these are the, like the way our traditional names work is that it speaks to like the gifts that we have, but also speaks to our uh, responsibility to use those gifts and give back mm. to our community, right? Like it's, we're very community first, community focused, and we serve our community by being ourselves. And, and so um, there was always this, this just knowing I was like, oh, well, I'm a singer. I sing. That's what I do. I'm singing woman. And I remember, I mean, I would walk home from school and be writing songs and singing to myself. And I was always, always writing songs. And then, but my first musical instrument was, was piano. My grandma had a piano and, um, and so I took lessons and loved that. And then in high school, when it was like listening to the Indigo Girls and Ani DeFranco, I was like, fuck the piano. I need an acoustic guitar, right? It was the 90s and uh, Lilith Fair was happening. And, and so I was all about it and that, and, and picked up, you know, in the guitar then. Cool. Swainy Bay, is that what it was? Is? Saini Bay. Saini Bay. Saini Bay. Yeah. Krista Saini Bay. I don't have a nickname. <laughs> I don't have an alias. <laughs> I should have used Saini Bay. People would have been all over that shit. But it's, uh, not, it's not too late. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe the next EP title. Maybe, or yeah, maybe a, when a I new... do my hallucination remix, I'll be Saini Bay. <laughs> that's your that's your electronic uh yeah. art, 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 art artist name i love it yeah it's so cool great story i love i love that that's so awesome um at some point you're listening to the indigo girls you got your acoustic guitar you're singing you're writing songs every day at some point was there a moment where you're like I'm going to do this. Or did you sort of always did, did, did the nickname, the naming ceremony sort of maybe made you think, Oh, everybody does this, or this is what I have to do. Or was there a moment maybe in high school or earlier or later where you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go try this, even though it seems a bit crazy. It sure is a bit crazy, but there was a moment, you know, it, it happened in my 20s, I think in high school, even though I, you know, knew I was Sani Bay and this was a big part of my identity and I was playing guitar and playing my Indigo Girls covers and all that, I, I didn't feel kind of worthy in a way. I think I felt like a fear or an insecurity about pursuing music. And, you know, that's something most of us like feel. It's like, am I good enough? And if I just don't try, then I don't have to find out if I'm not good enough, right? And of course, right. I couldn't have articulated that way because I was a teenager, but I felt very cautious and nervous. I didn't want to audition for, you know, I, a lot of, I went to performing arts high school and a lot in Edmonton and my peers were going Ooh. to go to Grant McEwen and study musical theater. And I just was like, I don't know. So instead I went to film school and like decided to go into production and like television production. I was like, that's cool. That's still creative. I can just make music, you know, my own time. <clears throat> but then I was uh, on a like backpacking trip through Europe as one does in the early 20s. And I was in the back room at the hostel in Amsterdam, two in the morning uh, with a group of people, you know, other travelers and the guitar was going around the room, right? People were taking their turns. 
uh, Daryl, the Scottish guy who I had super crushing on, played a, a David Gray cover. And I like sang harmonies and he was like, oh, you can sing like here. Do you play guitar? And I had like just started taking lessons, but I was like, sure. Yeah. And I had this moment. I was like, OK, am I going to play a cover or should I play that one song that I've written on the guitar? And I'd only had one that I'd written with guitar at that point. And so I sang it and everyone listened. And there was this moment after my song had finished when people were just quiet. Before that cutie patootie, Daryl said, I, <laughs> and they started clapping. In that split second, I was like, shit, I want to do this. I want to perform music and have this feeling where people are just going, ah, I get it. I feel it. I feel something. And, and it was in that second, that I was like, okay, this, and it sent me on a path where like, then I went home and I figured out how to start recording demos and, and started trying to you know, just play open mics. I hadn't even done that yet. Um, and I wrote a song about that experience. It's called day four. It's on that album you and I produced, but it's in the, in the, um, chorus, it says, thank you for starting me off. Like, I just feel like something happened in that room, um, where it just set me on the path of like, okay, I want to have this as my career. I want this to be a thing that I focus on. Mm. I wanted that feeling (laughs) again and again. I love that. I, when you were telling me that, I was like, I've heard this story before, but in, in, a, in a different form. <laughs> in a lyrical <laughs> this all sounds form. So, this all sounds so familiar. Um, you know what would be cool is I'd love to hear you sort of do that, like break down the story of the song and then sing the song. But whenever people try to do that live through a PA system, it always just sounds like, Amsterdam, and everybody's like, "Yeah, I don't, I can't hear a word you're saying." But woo, beers are half price. Um, but if you did it on YouTube or something, mm. where you know something where your your mic sounds good, and by the way, your mic sounds great. Blue Yeti, shout out Blue shout Yeti. Out. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you did that in in that format, where we could actually hear what you were saying, like when you were when you were saying that, I had total chills. I was like, "That's mm. a great story," and and I think you would be great at telling the stories of your songs. You're like, and here's in that the format. song. And, yeah, and here's the song. Of course, I like, do. Yeah, song I, comes second. I do love the stories behind my song, and that's in some ways the second part of that teaching about my name. Right? She's going to sing a lot. She's going to talk a lot. There was this way of like I also talk about these stories. I also write them down. Um, right. I did a thing with my last t- maybe two albums where, as a like you know presale like bonus thing or whatever, people could buy um, postcards, and I would mail them one postcard a month that has had I wrote out the story of one of the songs because. I love giving that to people. I mean, people have their own stories that they're going to hear in music, right? Um, yes. But I happen to enjoy like telling the story. So yeah, maybe maybe that's going to be my next YouTube thing. I don't know. Good idea, Futch. That'd be great. This yeah. Is, this is what this is what I'm here for, right? We're all about starting YouTube channels yeah. based on every podcast episode. I don't know if that's true at all. <laughs> uh, it's probably not. Um, that's a great story, though. And so... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It was sort of the dramatic pause between you ending the song and sensing their reaction, but you hadn't heard their reaction yet. That dramatic pause was probably half a second, but felt like an entire lifetime. And you decided in that dramatic pause, this is what I'm going to do with 
the rest or a, a large portion of my life anyway, until I decided correct. to become a writer. And that's so great. You are correct. Because it that. just was like that. Like we know that moment, right? As performers, like that mm-hmm. just moment where you're like, I nailed it. I nailed it. And like, you just feel it. You can, it's wordless and you feel mm-hmm. it. And it's this like moment of this connection between you and the audience. And we know that feeling as an audience member too, right? Like I've so many times been the one in the mm-hmm. audience going, ha ha ha, right? So uh, yeah, it was in that moment of feeling that. Yeah. And it's almost like the longer the dramatic pause, the more real it is, like, because people feel so socially awkward that they just don't like that space. And so they just immediately want to clap and yelp. And so if the performance isn't that great, the clapping and yelping is going to start right away. But if there's that dramatic pause, people are almost like, oh, right, I'm a human being on planet Earth. Where are we? Oh, wow, that was fucking great. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't swear on my podcast. but I've already can, sworn a bunch. I'm, I assumed it was okay. I yeah. It, it, I, I let each person decide. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, just that suspension of time in mm. a way. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's good to put that in production too. Like when you mm. when you put in a pr- uh, dramatic pause in production, it's always great too, especially if you're thinking down the road of what it's going to be like live. Do you know what I um, learned from you when we made that first album, which we recorded live off the floor, right? And we were capturing all that feeling, everything in the room. And you talked about like the drummer, you know, just like when you're, especially when it's live and every, we were having to get everyone at once, but like if <laughs> waiting to say, yeah, we got it. Cause like, don't, don't like let that moment hang um, so that we can capture that feeling in the room. Right. I remember that so clearly. I learned that from you and I've thought about that um, as a performer and in recording, because it's like, you have to just let those moments happen and let them settle. Yeah. Like like at the end of a great take when the symbols are still uh, shimmering and somebody goes, that was fucking great. Is that what you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Shut I think that was the story. Because <laughs> then, you then you've got to overdub a symbol take and then it's not really live and then you feel bad. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But it's also good to know that the take was so great that the person lost their mind and right know, and responded broke the broke the fourth wall that I yeah think that, yeah <laughs> I think that still lets you know you're on the right path um so how many instruments do you play piano just guitar, piano and guitar voice? yeah and voice yeah is that three <laughs> when you hear instruments or uh, you listen to albums. What's your favorite sounding instrument? Do you have sort of a, oh, I love that sound sort of instrument? Mm. I mean, it depends on so many factors. I love a clarinet. There's like a like something about when I hear a like clarinet come in. I don't know. My grandpa played the clarinet. Maybe that's why. I mean, I love the piano. I love cello. I love a, a trumpet. Mm. Um, I thought I hated the saxophone until I finally heard some like good saxophone solos. Um, yeah, I think it depends on like what's going on, like what the song is. Okay. Um, Those are all great answers. Yeah. Cello is yeah. a good one. And you're, you're right about sax. It's kind of a love hate relationship with sax. It can sort of, it can go bad. It, it can, can sound bad. bad right. Yeah. Yeah. Sound brash, but it can sound good too. Um when you were 
growing up and when you were, you know, I guess hearing music around the house or maybe music you were bringing into the house, what were your early influences? You mentioned Ani DeFranco and that sort of scene, maybe even before that, sort of between I Want to Hold Your Hand and Ani DeFranco, what was the the other sort of music you were being influenced by? Um, like So it was the 80s and my what was available to me was my mother's record collection. <laughs> and so it was Joni Mitchell, Carole King, the soundtrack to Emma Deus. <laughs> um, my mom listened to a lot of like singer song. My mom is a singer songwriter as well. And so there was a lot of that around Simon and Garfunkel, um, you know, and she'd been cool. in like a folk trio in the sixties. So it was like a lot of her influences became my influences. Paul Simon. I think Graceland was like this moment where we both liked something, you know, that uh, was current. And then I was, I was, you know, right. just starting to find my own, my own tastes. But that was a huge album. That was great. Massive, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good crossover with all of the, the instruments they brought into that. It was a good, good sounding album. Um, okay. So at some point you're writing all these songs and at some point, you're going to have to bring this stuff to the stage and you are going to have to perform live. Was the first time you performed live a nightmare like it should be? Or how did that, how did that go? Oh, yeah. I felt I was sick to my stomach. I was an absolute wreck. Um, my guitar teacher, Murray Atkinson. Shout out, Murray Atkinson. Shout out, Murray Atkinson. Um, uh he was playing a gig at the railway club in Vancouver with like a band he had at the time and asked me if I wanted to play an opening set, which is, I mean, thank goodness he did. It was a push I needed. I got there and I didn't, I hadn't thought about standing up to play. And so like the other band had to lend me a guitar strap. <laughs> so I could like have a way to hold my guitar. He let me keep it after he's like, at the end, I think he was like, you just, you, you should keep the guitar strap. You need it. <laughs> um, I still have that guitar strap. Um, and I just was, I was just beside myself. I was shaking. My, my knees were rattling. My heart was racing. I think I did maybe 15 or 20 minutes I played every song I'd written you know, at that point and like everyone from my work had come like everyone from the office you know uh was there um and it was so it was so nerve-wracking my very closest friend David um who I he's in a song he's in two songs actually um, was in the, in the front row and, you know, just beaming at me and giving me like all the love and support I needed. And the second I was done, I just like put down my guitar and like literally leapt off the stage into his arms. <laughs> Cause I just was like, I need a hug. That was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but it was brave. You know, I think about it now and I'm like, oh, bless to little Krista totally. with her guitar. <laughs> totally. It's crazy. To, it's crazy to do that. Why would yeah. anybody do that? Why? So how did you feel after, a week after, a month after? Oh, after you... I was like, let's do that again. I, I, right? And, you know, I still go through this with performing to a lesser degree, but particularly if, yeah. it, particularly if it's been a while. Like when I'm on tour and I'm performing every night, I'm like in the zone. I don't really get stage fright. Um, and even now at this point, like I've actually – like I've stepped back from performing. But I will say that um, 
it's still, I still go through that cycle. Where I'll be like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? This is terrifying. I'll play the show. And then afterwards, high as a kite. I'm like, I can't. When's the next gig? This was amazing. I love this. I'm in love with my life. Let's do this. Right? Like, it's just, the, and I, even though I know that cycle happens, I still go through it. I mean, now I can beforehand be like, oh, this is the thing. This is the thing I do where I regret it and I want to cancel and I'm scared. It's going to feel right. different two hours from now. Um, like now so I just true. kind of accept that that's what I'm going to put myself through. <laughs> yeah. But in the beginning, I like didn't have that awareness of it. I just was going through this kind of ups and downs of, of performing. But it was right after that I wanted to do it. I mean, I always felt the urge to perform and I was combating my stage fright. Um, but it was worth it because that drive to share and that drive to express myself and and my enjoyment of of the task kept overriding the ways that it just felt like crap sometimes. <laughs> Did that change you as a person? Did it give you more confidence? Did you did it somehow affect your life performing? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a good exercise to keep pushing against your fears, those kinds of fears, um, and to push against, you know, what is, I mean, the fears that are, for the most part, those, these were not high risk experiences, right? There was like a fear of judgment, right? Or a fear of failure um, or wanting people to like me and like what I do and like the thing I made, you know? So I think those are good fears to push against and find where you're like, oh, I, I can do this thing or this is, you know, I like this thing that I made. And so I, I, I imagine that I applied that to other areas. Um, I think performing, yeah, I, I learned how to step into a room and try and win it over <laughs> a room right. full of strangers night after night. Um, I learned how to, yeah, put myself out there and have a little faith in, in what I do. It's huge. I think most people would rather, I mean, this isn't just public speaking. This is public singing. So it's like times two. And most people would rather like fight an alligator than, than <laughs> public speak. Right. So you're out there with a the guitar. So they're like on top of public speaking, add pitch and an instrument. Like it's just cuckoo bananas when you think about it. Yeah. Right? It's like spinning plates. It's a real feat. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, right? you know, but we do it. We're driven to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why? What? What's the feeling on the other side? Is it, a, is it a sense of connection with the humans? Is it a sense of accomplishment? Is it a feeling of being in the now and creating something in real time? What is it? <clears throat> yeah, all of the above. I think there's so much that goes on in music and in a performance. And so for me... Yes, the the experience of connecting, that moment of pause that we talked about and wherever that happens, that might you might get them in the first song and then you've got them or you know that they aren't quite with you until somewhere after the third song and then you're like, "Oh, okay, here we are. Now we're together." It's a it's the moment of connection. It's the feeling of being seen and heard, and I think in particular because of the kind of writing I do, which is very autobiographical, I'm, you know, speaking about my own experiences, um, I'm, I'm learning about myself and my experiences through the process of writing the music and then in crafting the songs and sharing them, I'm 
kind of understanding myself in a way and in like giving that to people and that being received and people saying, yeah, I, I get that. I get what you mean. Me too. In these ways. Um, that's really a basic need that we all have. Like, but for some reason I want to do it on stage with a spotlight and a microphone, but like we all want to feel seen and there's mm -hmm. something like, like that kind of circle of what happens in that moment is that I I also want to give that. Like I I like, I think as listeners, you know, when we connect to music or a performance, we also feel seen. Like it's a mutual, there's an exchange that happens. And so I feel seen, but I think it's also that like they're seeing something in themselves too. And just for a minute, for a night, we get to all feel a little less lonely. And... Mm -hmm. That's what I I love about it. I mean, I love, there's so much I love about the experience. I love the physicality of singing. Um, I love the kind of, um, you know, the, the lights and glamour that go with a, a sort of performance in a way. Um, not that I ever had like pyrotechnics or something. No one was flying me down in a disco ball, but like the, just the, the, the thing of a show, right, is also just fun. It's fun to do and... It can be nerve-wracking, absolutely. Um, and when it doesn't go well, you can feel like garbage. Uh, but yeah, I think it comes down to the connection. It, it comes down to the connection, I feel, and it comes down to my ongoing pursuit as an artist to understand my own experience. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need my validation, but it feels but good. It doesn't? still feels good. I get, and it's and it's a seeking validation. <laughs> Can you remember one of the more memorable things? Something memorable some somebody came up and said to you after a performance? Hmm. Did anybody say like thank you or just anything. Anything. Anything that comes to your mind. What comes to mind, there was a point after my second album um, where in the press release, but also on stage, I would, I would talk about um, the losses I had experienced. So I wrote my second album after my first son died, and I wrote my third album after my second son died. And these are stories that I, I share in my work and that I would talk about in a way. And so somewhere around that second and third album, people either started coming to my shows because they'd experienced a similar loss or they got there and were like, oh, <laughs> I feel this. And so what comes to mind is a woman at a show I was in uh, St. John, New Brunswick, and her coming up to me and her having tears in her eyes and her saying, my husband died last month. And and we just stood there and we hugged. And there was that that's like a memorable thing that someone said to me because they shared something from their life in response to me sharing something from mine. And that like that's that beautiful part of connection. That's what I'm hoping for. I want to hear back. I, I'm I'm giving you this thing. Right. I want something back, not to say you're obligated to tell me about your life story, but it just was right. that moment of, I was like, ah, and now I can receive something from you. I can do that. I can be a container for that. And so that's a memorable moment. 
That's great. And then, and I'm sure you knew this be- before that, but it sort of reiterates the idea that it's not really about you. It's about them. <laughs> you know, you're, you're providing a service. Yeah. Whether it's just a catchy melody or some thinky lyrics or something like that, where you're like, oh, this is an important job I'm doing and uh, this is serious business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which it's interesting. I feel like it took me a while as a writer and performer to understand that, even though as a listener, I know that so well, right? Like I mentioned right. Bandit by Neil Young. As far as I'm concerned, that song was written for me. <laughs> like that is a song that speaks to me, that makes sense to me, that like that. And, and who knows what Neil's, exp- what he thinks of that song, but it doesn't really matter right. because it lives in my world and in this way. And so, yeah, we're as we, the, the service of, of, of sharing this stuff is, is so vital. And those are different entry points, right? Like I, 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 I'm such a lyric person. I think a lot about lyrics and, and, but when I was touring in Germany where suddenly people didn't really know what I was, I mean, there are a lot of people speak English there, but they weren't necessarily getting the lyrics in the same way as people who speak English as a first language. And they weren't getting my like cultural references (laughs) that I was like working into my songs. And I was like, Oh, so what is it now? And then it was like, Oh, it's how it sounds. Like now I'm delivering something based on just the sound so like i started to play more with then it's like with my voice and like how can i give something how can i offer this service just by what it sounds like versus what i'm saying and so yeah we get different things out of it but totally it's performing a, a service that's great that's a great point i heard a great interview with max martin talking about he's from sweden and Swedes would sort of hear North American music and not quite understand the lyrics and sort of confuse them a little bit. And, it, you know, the sound of the melody is so important, so important, because if you don't speak the language, if the melody can still get through to you, you know, you think of that song Gangnam Style by Psy, right? There was only a couple of phrases that were in English, but that song was a massive hit all over the planet. You don't have to speak Korean to love this song, right? This is a this is a heater. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's, I guess it's a combination of, you know, the melody and the, and, and the catchiness of it attract all these people. And then if you do happen to speak the language, then it takes you to that next bonus. sort of level of understanding, yeah. like a bonus level. Totally. Um, one more question on the first side of the page, and it's a pretty abstract one, but I, I just want to see how you uh, answer it. What is music production? Hmm. For me, and the type of music that I have made so far, music production has been capturing that moment, those people in a room, whoever that particular combination of people happen to be. And it's then, you know, the tools and the the gear and all the things that come into place to make that happen um, during recording and, of course, after. Um, you know, I think it's like working in film and television, like, and the the lengths that you have to go to to make something look real on camera are so completely unreal in life, right? Like, water doesn't show up on film very well, so when you see rain... Uh, on tv or in a movie they've actually they often add milk to it 
And so production is like these kind of artificial steps we take for something to feel real. Hmm. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Does that sound, what do you, is that true? What do you think? I think, I mean, there's a million ways to answer that question, yeah. but that's definitely true. And then, um, like you, like you spoke about earlier, you know, when we were doing, especially the first record, we were trying to capture a lot of stuff live off the floor to, to not do it that way, to not mm -hmm. have milky rain, to actually capture rain. Um, and I definitely think there, part of the art form is navigating through those, those, those two. Like, like when I, when people mix a song, I think there's sort of two general approaches to a mix realism and surrealism, and both are amazing. Right. And of course, most people end up doing a combination right. of both those things. So the surrealism is the milk, the milky rain, and the realism is capturing warts and all live off the floor. Right. Yep. And so those are the two extremes. And then in between there, somewhere between there lies the truth. Yeah. Or, or, so maybe production, production is like understanding the choices and then getting to make the choices. Sure. That's another great way of putting it. Um, you've worked with a number of producers. Can you tell us about sort of like <clears throat> your experience with the difference in approaches or anything you want to talk just because you, you're a wealth of information just because as an artist, you've, you've made a lot of albums and you've gone about them in a number of different ways. I guess just any, anything you want to comment on in that arena. Yeah, I've worked with a few people now and I love that the the different ways of 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 working with people and the different results that makes. I mean, with you, I remember I remember you describing yourself at the time. I mean, and we made Fallout of Oz in 2005. Um, but you described yourself as a cinematographer, speaking of this like film analogy that you were like, I'm here to capture, right? Um and I, and that was the perfect approach for those songs and and um, at the time. And then when I worked with Steve Dawson and I made two albums with him, and he's such a like incredible musician, um, and so skilled on the instruments he plays, he comes into it with like a lot of that kind of like instrumentation perspective and what's he, what's right. he gonna do and play and what can these other people play and uh he really like works with um knowing what each musician is capable of like he i think those are kind of his tools of like okay this person i know they can do this kind of thing this person can do this kind of thing so that experience with him was sort of witnessing like uh that perspective of like coming in as a as a musician really um so cool. and yeah, I think those, and, and I've loved working with him too. I made an EP a couple years ago with Jim Bryson. And I think he was like somewhere kind of in between. Like he's a real like easygoing hang. And so it was sort of like, okay, let's see what we do today. Great. <laughs> you know, just like um, like kind of seeing what came up. And anyway, he was very collaborative. I think with Steve, I often, when I'm working with Steve, I'm sort of like asking him to direct certain musical choices i'll be like i wrote this song i don't know where it should go and he'll be like i have an idea and with jim it was like what are you thinking what am i thinking maybe this what do you want to do like we had kind of a more uh, figuring it out together 
Um, so again, just different, different approaches. Yeah. 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 I love it. That's yeah. great. Um, okay. So the next question is a guest question. So this is from my friend Tamara Edelman, who I think, I think you two would love each other. Um, and her question, she said, when you start a podcast, I want you to ask your guests this question. So here it is. It's a two-parter. Okay. What has been your biggest career high and your biggest career challenge so far? Hmm. As a musician, my biggest career high was a show that I played at the Sendesal in Bremen, Germany. It's this beautiful, incredible space that's designed to um, not like even require microphones. But we ended up having, I was playing with a cellist. I would like, I was moving between the guitar and a grand piano and I had a cellist with me and we had one mic just in the middle. Um, And so it was this incredible space and it was a sold out night and I had three encores and a standing ovation and I sold out afterwards of my merch and people lining up to talk to me and I'd had you know I'd had good gigs I'd had and I'd run out of merch before you know but it just was like every element was there a stunning venue an incredible audience um this outpouring of support afterwards and it was kind of, it was like a new level for me. I'd been playing lots of small venues, bars, cafes and stuff where that kind of thing just isn't possible. Certainly not the grand piano. Um, so it just was like a glimpse of like how the other half lives or something. You know, I was like, oh, that's what it's like when you're operating at that level playing, you know, for at least 100 people playing, you know, in these beautiful spaces. It was a, it was a really special night that I will that's always... Awesome. Yeah, I will. I'll just always remember that night. And there's other good gigs that I will always remember, but that one was special. And challenges. Um. So that one of the greatest challenges in my career is that the question, your Tamara? Big, your biggest career challenge so far. Uh There's a lot of challenges in this industry. One of my, do I want to say that? I mean, one of the biggest challenges was and has been finding um, help, like management, booking, anyone to help with all of the things that have to get done um, to play a show or make an album. And there's so much administrative work. I mean, when I was like kind of full-time musician, when that was my full-time job that all of my, you know, time and energy and focus went into, you know, even if at times I would have been juggling other like paid work on top of that, but it was largely a desk job. Like for the most part, I was sitting at my computer, writing grant applications, sending emails, you know, all of that stuff. And then like 10% of the time on stage, 5% of the time writing, like, which is fine. Like it, it, it's fine. That was still a job that I really liked. It's still, is that Gershwin? Nice work if you can get it and you can get it if you try. Like it, it but that's the reality. And I think um, it was really challenging to do that on my own. And that 
a team never really fell into place for me. And I tried, I was trying and for whatever reasons of things, timing, I don't know that, that these things weren't falling into place. Um, it, it just never did. And that was a huge challenge because it's exhausting to do all of that stuff. Um, ultimately. So I think that that's been a big challenge is just the like, doing it on my own because it's a job that actually takes a lot of people. Ideally. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, shout out Gershwin, by the way. Um, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, when you're producing music, producing an album, what's your favorite, uh, producing a song, What's your favorite part, starting or finishing? Mm. I'm going to think of, yeah. You you love my questions, don't you? You're really <laughs> warming up. I can tell. They're, well, they're thought-provoking. I'm going to think, as far as like producing a song, I'm going to think about from the moment where like you and I and the musicians are in a room. So I'm going to think of that as the start and okay. like um, versus like me alone writing a song. So I would say my favorite part is is that start, is that trying things mm. is especially because I write alone is that moment where I'm now handing it over and saying, hey, what do you think? What do you do? Show me what you've got. I now have just done my part and now I get to be part of this whole. Um, I love that part where we're like figuring it out like and pre-production yeah trying things getting a glimpse of what it might become um yeah yeah i remember a lot of our pre-production ideas like we should have we should have thumb piano on this like tack piano <laughs> yeah or we should get uh cello on this or we should we should we should hire a bunch of uh, expensive session players and then <laughs> And then the computer will die because we have a USB plug uh, hub that oh somebody God. plugged in that doesn't have power and and it's wrecking everything and we have no idea. Shout out, shout out, unpowered USB <laughs> hubs, the bane of all music production existence. I remember that day. I remember. That I mean, day. pre-production with you was so fun. My memory of of that, like you would be sitting on the floor, you'd have like your knees up, and you'd you know be just listening. And me and like, you know, the band, whoever we'd be playing and yeah, we'd play and you, you, you just like, you could see those ideas happening and then you would jump up and you would have something. I mean, you're like, you're such a laid back dude, but you're also so energetic when you're excited about something. And so when you would like have an idea, you'd be like, yeah, I got, it. I know, let's do this. This is going to be, you know, like you were so excited about ideas. Like it, it, that was fun. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my favorite part of the whole thing too, is pre-production. Mm. I, I do like mixing and I do like, I like to hear it finished too, but mm -hmm. I think everybody kind of has that weirdo art thing where like finishing art is always this sort of like, you know, now people are going to judge you. You know that whatever you do two weeks later, you're going to be like, I don't know, that hi-hat could probably come down half a dB. Like that's inevitable, right? So I yeah. think with, with pre-production, it's the, the idea stage and the, the taking a song from here to here or just yeah. the instruments you can add and 
and or even just like yeah. the problem solving being like this is missing like what you know and just yeah. being like oh why don't we just like cut the verse here and try this and then you're like oh yeah yeah that's it i think you're right i think it is about <laughs> problem solving it maybe too yeah because i i've realized lately that uh I'm a big fan of systems and specifically designing systems. So maybe that's what that is. I'm designing a system for the song. And then when, when the verse and the chorus and the pre-chorus and the, and the bridge all make sense together, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a system. The system works. It's, it's perfect, right? It's efficient. It's an efficient system. I love that. I love that in any aspect of life mm. is when that – when when there's when it doesn't click and everything's good and you know you have a great idea but the bridge isn't there and then all of a sudden in a dream or by accident usually or or some rando yells it from a car window as they drive by the bridge clicks and it's all there and you're like oh here we go that's my favorite part it's a good feeling it's always so random too yeah um, shout out random driving by in a car. Um, <laughs> let's go to the fast track assignment, which you kind of alluded to a little bit in during uh, the answer to Tam's question. Um, spoiler alert, I kind of know what her fast track assignment answer is. Um, so the fast track is where you tell us one thing that you do really well, and then you give us a little method or a system foreshadowing uh shout out Futch five seconds ago 30 seconds ago um and you tell you give us a little system or a method where we can practice that thing at home and be more like you i got it yes so as mentioned um the work of being a musician is highly administrative and the thing that i do really well in relation to music is actually that admin side, to be honest, my ability to write grant applications and budgets and do bookkeeping. I took a bookkeeping course once. It was a, made a huge difference in my life. Those have been some of the biggest secrets to my success or like longevity with a career. And those are all areas that I have tips. But, um, but where this comes into play most often that I think most people can use is in writing emails that people will actually reply to because there's a lot of cold calling when you're doing this stuff, right? So um, I've learned, you know, like when I'm booking gigs, when I used to book all these tours or applying to festivals or just like getting a podcast interview, if I don't already know the host, um, I've learned how to increase my chances. And here are my steps that you can do at home. So uh, step number one is a super clear and specific subject line. So you're not just saying booking inquiry. You're saying, you know, booking Chris Couture at the Black Sheep Inn in March 2022. <laughs> and this has also right. helped when I've gone back trying to like find the email that I sent to someone is like, you also <laughs> putting it there for yourself. But you want that ask to be clear because these people get emails all the time. So it's nothing vague. Um, two, I always start with proof that I've done my research um, and that I'm a decent person. I learned from uh, uh, Ana Teixeira to approach each venue, like each producer, um, like they're a potential friend. Like this is going to be a relationship you might develop over years. So you want to give them a reason to show you've paid attention to them first. Like, 
you know, with with venues, I would say, oh, I saw that you had this artist and this artist, and I love that you like post highlights on Instagram, and my favorite was that one. Um, and I spend time doing that research, and I'll say, and I'm similar to these artists in this way, and that's why I'd be such a great fit. <laughs> so, do your research, make it show they're more likely to care about you if you show that you care, um, and you've put some energy into that. Um, and so that's always my first paragraph before I even go into that elevator pitch of like, I'm Chris Couture, I'm a singer songwriter, blah, blah. I always start with like, I know who you are. Don't worry. This is not a completely uninformed email. <laughs> right. Three, I make sure that there's a clear ask and I'm really specific with my asks as well. So it's easy for them to respond. Like with booking gigs, I would suggest three specific dates you know they might come back and say i don't have those dates but i'm still like how about i play on this day you know after i've checked their calendar online um or with pitching myself for an interview same thing i'll be like i'm available tuesdays at noon how about you because then if there's something you know it moves the conversation forward in a more like action oriented way um you're not just saying are you interested let me know like it's like let's just let's just move ahead <laughs> here's a time you know, now we have something to talk about. And lastly, although I do have a bonus tip, but my like last step in writing the perfect, almost perfect email is my magical closing line, which is something that I learned from Marsha Shandor of uh, yesyesmarsha.com. She used to do like networking uh, stuff. I use this on every single email. I end with, if you have two minutes to hit reply and let me know what you think, that would be fantastic. And it's this magic line for some reason. It's because everyone has like a million emails. Most of the time we're like, okay, I'll reply to that later. But this invitation to be like, it's just going to take you two minutes, hit reply. People are like, oh yeah, okay, good idea. I can do that. Um, and it has totally upped how many times I hear back from people. I mean, this is like anecdotal. Mm -hmm. I haven't done like a hard analysis, but I have noticed that um, it's this, it just like gives people an easy way to write back and then the ball is in your court and then you can like keep that conversation going because it's amazing. I mean, even being, you know, I'm, I've also been like an arts programmer and, and manager at different arts organizations. Like when people send you emails, it's so often that people aren't including the best information <laughs> that you are having to like kind of do that work for them. And so I do as much of the work as I can when I'm sending that email, clear right. subject line, clear ask. I've done my research Take two minutes to let me know what you think. That's great. Those are my tips for you. It's, I love it. It's super helpful. It reminds me of marketing too. It reminds me of mm. good marketing. You've got a clear, you know, tagline. The 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 thing at the end is your call to action. Yep. The middle part is your you're appealing to people on on a on a real level. And I think with all this, it goes without saying, but um it has to be authentic going back to the the beginning of this interview you don't want to do all those things inauthentically unauthentically inauthentically inauthentically because people have a great bullshit detector and so yes. you don't want to you know you've got to be real about all this and i think most people understand that but they they don't do the clarity, they don't make a clear subject line, and they don't have a clear call to action, and they don't have a defined date and a do this, this, and this, because yeah. they feel like they don't want to boss people around. 
But, but like you said, if you don't boss people around, then they're going to have to do all the work and they don't even know you. And they probably just did the work for the last email. So it it seems a little bit counterintuitive, I think. But it makes it easy for people. And I found with like, with all like suggesting dates is been also because again, it's like, it gives them something even to say no to where they're like, actually, no, we're already booked those dates, but, and then it's like, but we can do this or whatever. Um, yeah, the authentic thing is really true. And that's why like Anna's advice of like, you know, you want to be their friend. Like, sure, it's a business relationship. But you want it to be friendly. Um, that I learned a lot from that. I learned also from uh, Doug Cox, who's a great musician and is, was, is the AD of, um, I think it's called Vancouver Island Folk Festival in like Comox Valley. And I remember asking him about like, how do I book more festivals? Like, I'm inviting them to my showcases and like, uh, and he was like, two things are true. One you know, like you're great at what you do, but there's a lot of people like you. There's a lot of talented singer songwriters more than we can program in a festival. Right. And he was like, your best bet is to actually, when you're at those conferences or whatever, don't try and get them to your showcase, try and just sit down and have a coffee with them because they're actually might be more inclined. If they get to know you, you're going to be able to talk to them. You're going to, you know, pull on these skills of like chatting and being friendly and, and, um, that then that might be what gives me the edge. And it it did like I, it, you know, you think that you can just make the music and that's going to be good music is going to be enough. Um, and it's not, which is sort of disheartening. I know I felt disheartened by that for a while, but then I felt a little less precious and was like, OK, well, if the music isn't enough, I'm going to write the good emails <laughs> and right. figure out, you know, like how to take those steps. Yeah, my bonus tip is the um, Gmail add on boomerang. It's like I use it so much from an organizational perspective. Do you use Boomerang? My faith. I, I don't know what life would be like without Boomerang. It is so useful. I used to have like spreadsheets where I'm tracking who I emailed when. But the fact that you can just be like, hey, Boomerang, tell me if this person doesn't write back to me. Or like, hey, Boomerang, send this email at a reasonable hour instead of 3 a.m. Um, or Boomerang, I want to read this email on Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. Be, on, yes. be gone with you. Be gone with it's you. So Remind great. me later. <laughs> yeah. So Boomerang is an amazing tool for keeping track of all this stuff that you're sending out into the world. Free tool. Shout out Boomerang. By the way, Boomerang uh, Levels FM is accepting sponsorships at this point. I don't Perfect. know how that would work, but I mean, that was an organic. You and I really love Boomerang. That was an unpaid plug. Unpaid plug. <laughs> Genuine, Once authentic again, faith in the product once again everybody that's boomerang by (laughs) gmail (laughs) i don't actually think they're a gmail product it just can add on although gmail has started imitating boomerang where you can now use gmail to send later and gmail will now have those those like nudge reminders will gmail be like hey you sent this four days ago so i but i think they're totally like biting boomerang style they're biting boomerang style and they're not doing it as well yet right Boomerang, still the reigning king. Um, aside from Boomerang, what are you currently obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? <laughs> aside from software. Um, hmm. Good question. What am I obsessed with right now? Like in music? Like in anything anything 
Hmm. I am, and this is kind of abstract, but I'm going to say right now I'm obsessed with reinvention. Mm -hmm. What I'm thinking about these days is like, I moved house in July and um, went through a separation and like figuring out co-parenting with my kid and it's all good. It's happening in a like the best way possible. But I'm like coming out of this like my daughter's four and I've just been in mom world, but I'm now finally able to look outside of that a little. And I've like moved into a new place and I'm like figuring out what I'm doing next in my career and I'm figuring out what I want and what feels good and, and what can I do that I love in the short amount of spare time that I have. And I'm kind of obsessed with figuring that out. I'm obsessed with like, I want to change some of this stuff up. So I'm going to change it. Um, that's broad. That's like very like that's per, good. You know, personal that's development great. thing. But I feel like that's what's on my mind right now is like, I what can I do that's going to make this feel better? And now that that's, I actually have some time and resources to, to make some changes. I want you to write an EP, a really quick one, live off the floor called Mom World. <laughs> Mom World. I think that would appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, we'll have to just like sample Peppa Pig and like you'll have hear like the TV in the background, maybe some screaming, some laughter. Yeah, it's it's mostly just a twenty minute song <laughs> with with you with you yelling and the, and the TV in the background. Right, moms are like, I can totally relate to this song. Uh, yeah, Mom World, you know it. And I mean, there's, 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 it's not all yelling. There is joy and laughter, but there's some yelling. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, what do you still want to learn? Hmm. I want to like, just learn how to keep getting better at this stuff, you know? How do I, how does, how do I make the next song better? Or if the last song was better than this one, what, what was that difference? Um, how do I, you know, continue to like tell these stories? How do I want to tell these stories? Um, I just want to keep learning those skills and, and learning what I like and want. Is this, does this all come down to storytelling? Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, so as mentioned, right, like I, music was my thing, really the focus for 10 years. I've released seven albums, you know, EPs and albums, whatever. And, and then I made a change uh, for a few reasons. And one of which being burnout, one of which being parenting, one of which being a vocal injury. I had my thyroid removed and it, it didn't go well and I was my voice was injured for a while and wow. all of these things kind of put music on hold um and when that happened I was like okay well what is it about music that I love some of the things we talked about making a connection expressing myself and I was like all right if I'm not touring and performing how do I do that and it was like okay well I I want to maybe write maybe I could write these stories down maybe I could still have this moment with an audience through uh, through a book, through essays. Um, I've also like, I went to film school, right? When I was like too scared to pursue music. And I've also gotten back into doing some filmmaking. I directed a short animated film last year, co-directed. Um, and, and, and I loved it. And I've been like, oh, maybe I'll make some more films. Like, 
And it's all about telling stories. Um, and I think, you know, that has been, I mean, people make music for a lot of reasons, but I think that's been a big part of, of why I do it. And so, yeah, this, what do I want to learn is like, yeah, other ways to tell stories, other ways that feel good to tell stories. That's cool. I've noticed that a lot of my interests from the past, things that I, roads I was going down or things that I was obsessed with 10, 15 years ago now are coming back and may, there's a reason why I was interested in them, even though it kind of fizzled out then. Now it makes sense, kind of like with you in filmmaking, you're like, oh, maybe that's something that is actually more important than I gave it credit for in the last 10 years or whatever, right? Like, I yeah. love seeing that stuff happen, like stuff kind of boomerangs back into your life. So right? natural. Yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's just wind it down here. I want, um, I want you to think about, uh, where you want our listeners to go to find out more about you. I know that you have a recently uh, released book and maybe you'd like to talk a bit about that. We kind of alluded to it in the last segment there. Um, and maybe just before that, give our listeners some advice. So maybe there's somebody out there that's thinking about recording their first song or somebody that's thinking about paying somebody to produce their song or maybe they're just writing their first song what would be your advice to people that are just thinking about stepping their toe into the artist world music production world mm. um my advice is like despite the challenges despite all the things it's worth it and that if you're being true to yourself in that art form, you are offering something unique. It's all been done, sure, blah, blah, blah. But your voice and your perspective is valuable and it will reach people. Um, you know, the best advice I got, I was like backstage at the Vancouver Folk Festival. I had, I think, just like a CDR of my first album. It hadn't really, it hadn't come out yet. And I was like trying to give it to Feist and she was about to go on stage. She didn't know who I was, I was like a volunteer. And I just was like, what should I, what should I do? I want, I want to be a singer. And, and she went, connect the dots, just connect the dots. And it's really good advice. One thing will lead you to the next thing. You don't have to worry too much about the big picture. Just like one step at a time, write that first song, then record that song, then perform that song. Like you'll connect the dots and they will take you somewhere probably unexpected. Um, and you can see it in hindsight, right? We were talking a bit about this before you started recording, like where we both are in our lives now and where we were when we met 15 years ago. We couldn't have predicted, but we've just been connecting the dots. <laughs> One, you know, where does this take me? I didn't mean to go there. Now what? You know, um, so it's good advice. Thanks, Feist. Shout out, Feist. <laughs> Shout out Feist. That's amazing advice. Really? So true. And and like I like I always say, the best music production advice has nothing to do with music production. This is life advice, right? That's a mm. that's a good like you could have easily said, Feist, what do I do with my life? And she she, she could have said, connect the dots. Connect the dots. All yeah. true. 
Yeah, and there's Great also just, bucks. like, some faith in that, right? Like, you just have to have a little faith. Do your work, do your best, mm-hmm. have a little faith. Yeah. That's great. And not get too caught up in your destination because like you say, as you start connecting the dots and you're like, I'm going north and you're like, oh, and we're east. Yes. It's like deal with it. East is awesome too, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. So cool. Shout out east. Um, <laughs> where should our listeners go to uh, find out you're more ridiculous. about you? <laughs> Where should our listeners go to find out more about you, your website, Instagram? Yeah. So KristaCouture.com. Um, Instagram is my like go-to platform that I use a lot. That's at Krista Couture. My music is in all the places, Spotify, iTunes, you know, Bandcamp, Krista Couture. Um, I have a new single coming out in November, so that will be in all of those places. And then my book. So I wrote this book um, that I am so proud of. It's called How to Lose Everything, and it's a memoir um, about my different experiences with loss. And um, I also, there's there's music in it in a way, like I, I include lyrics throughout because there's sometimes, you know, I've been telling these stories in music and I, sometimes I told them better in a song <laughs> than I could in this book. And then sometimes I'm telling them in, in this other form because they make more sense now in in, in, uh, in a memoir. Um, so my book is wherever you get books at your library, at your bookstore, Amazon, Indigo, your independent, wherever you find books, it's there. Uh, so and that's cool. it. Congratulations on that book. I'm super jealous of that book. I'm totally going to ask you a bunch of questions about it because I want to write a book. Even though I don't read books, I want to write a book. Um, I do read audiobooks. Um, and I'm also jealous of your microphone and I guess I'm just jealous of you and I miss you and I love you. And it was great to see you again. So great to see you. It was so great catching up. This was awesome. awesome. And really, really great stuff. Really great insight. Really great advice. Great stories. Thanks, so cool. man. Thanks for the good questions. I mean, this is stuff like, I don't think of myself as knowing a lot about production even though i've made all these things but then when you ask those questions i'm like oh this is what i think so um thanks for that yeah i knew your insight would be great for this uh and by the way i'll ask the question that everybody's thinking at home did i make it into the book was there any mention of (laughs) you are in the book you are in the moment you're in yeah it's small it's a little cameo um you know, it, it ties into my advice about emails, actually. <laughs> but you're in the That's book right. because I talk about getting into music. And I talk about that moment in Amsterdam where I was like, I want to be a singer. And I got back to Vancouver and I was like, all right, what do I do? I find a producer. Who did I find? This guy. This so guy. You're in there. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you sent that email because look where it led to. Right? 15. You never know. Is connect it 20, the dots. Is, connect the dots. It would have oh, been. Look at that. It would have been 2004 when I first contacted you. So 17 years? Yeah. A teenager. Long time ago. This friendship. And I know what everybody at home's thinking. How is that even possible? Look at these two. <laughs> they couldn't be a day over 18, 19 themselves, right? That's what you're thinking, right, people? All right. We've aged well. We have aged well. It's the music. Keeps us young, right? Yeah. Um, Everybody, that's Krista. Thank you.